Well, it's a privilege to be with all of you today. Um, I've had a relationship with this church for a while now. I met with the elders of this church to help encourage them to consider the Evangelical Presbyterian denomination that our church joined in Tulsa many years before. And I'm glad you did. We're so glad that you're in our presbytery. I also serve on the board of trustees at John Brown. So I'm here in Salem Springs at least a couple of times a year sometimes just virtually the way things are going today. Thank you for all being here on this cold, windy day too. You get extra credit. I don't know what that means, we're saved by grace, but you do get extra credit here. Well, I want you to think about what it might've been like to grow up, if you had disabilities, living in Galilee during the days of Jesus. Galilee is under Roman occupation, there are tax collectors, there are Roman soldiers that take extra money from people. It is a, not a great time to be living in Galilee. And yet here Jesus comes in the middle of all of that darkness, I would call it, and he sheds light. And he does it, you see in Mark chapter 2, with four men and a person who's been paralyzed since birth, and he sheds his light on them. Now, this passage is important to my wife, Lynette, who's sitting back there and me, because our youngest son, Jonathan, who's now 32 years old, has disabilities. He's paralyzed. He's been permanently in a wheelchair. So viscerally, we, get, we really uh, know what this passage is about. And I also would tell you how blessed we are to be living in the United States of America. Because in 1990, when George H.W. Bush was president, the American Disabilities Act was passed, and that was a game changer. And if you don't have someone who's disabled or someone has trouble getting in and out, you may not viscerally understand that, but it, it really makes a difference to go to a Walmart where there aren't steps, where it just the doors open automatically. Now, we live in a very blessed country. Now, if you go to older churches, and this is one, you'll notice all of these steps. That's just the way churches were designed. And now if you go to modern churches, it's the same way as going to a Walmart. You can go right in. And churches like yours have adopted all of that, adapted and made it accessible. So we don't have the struggles that uh, they had back in those days. However, if you travel out of this country, it's much like living in Galilee during the days of Jesus. Many years ago, my, I traveled to Meru, Kenya. Uh, there's a man in our church that built a relationship. Meru is located six hours north from Nairobi. And uh, our, uh, he's now a member of our staff at Kirk of the Hills. He went there and uh, met with a woman who ministered to widows and orphans, and his heart was moved and touched by what she was doing. And then she asked him if he would be willing to lead this ministry, and he says, I don't know anything. He had a different job. His wife worked hard in Tulsa as well, and they just weren't thinking that way. She passed away, <laughs> and so it was really put on him, and he did something very wise. He hired African leaders to take over the ministry, and he could help as much as he could from, from uh, the base in Tulsa. Well, on one of the trips that I went on to Meru, there was a woman, a widow, and widows, I learned, are ostracized. If you're, made, uh, if you're a widow, 
if your husband's left you, if your husband's died, it doesn't matter how it happened. If you're a widow, you're ostracized from the community. Didn't know that. And so the widows live in these locations on the outskirts of the community in these little terrible huts that have been constructed for them. And we visited one widow and she had a disabled child and he's sitting on a dirt floor. And you can imagine how my heart was moved when I saw that and I thought, what, how can we help here? I, I know what she's going through. Now, when you think of this story in the Bible about the man who's been paralyzed from birth, think of what I just told you about Africa and not what's going on here in the United States. In our story, you can imagine that this paralyzed man has lived his entire life on either a dirt floor or a small piece of carpet. Someone has had to feed him, carry him, bathe him, turn him over at night to make sure he doesn't have bed sores. He's totally dependent on people helping him. And in that time period, nothing could be done for him to relieve all of the th complications he was experiencing. There are no doctors. To top it all off, if you had disabilities, you were way down on the social ladder, if at on the ladder at all. The Greeks regularly disposed of newborn infants with disabilities. Aristotle wrote, let there be a law that no deformed child shall be raised. In Rome during the fifth century BC, there was a statute in the books that read, quickly kill a deformed child. In Israel, you suffered from a spiritual problem. There was a common assumption that if people were suffering from any disability physically, they must have done something wrong or their parents did something wrong. You remember that passage in 9 John 9-2 where there's a blind man, the disciples asked Jesus, did the parents do something? Did this guy do something to cause this? And Jesus says, no, none of that happened because of the parents or the blind man. So the, the blindness. So obstacles of all kinds were facing this paralyzed man. Now the house where Jesus is meeting and teaching is another obstacle for these four friends and the paralyzed man. They're in Capernaum. Thousands of years earlier, there were both earthquakes and volcanic activity in the area of Capernaum. If you've ever been there, you can see all sorts of basaltic stone along the beach. There are not beaches, nice beaches along the lake of the Sea of Galilee. As you walk the shoreline, you know how complicated it would have been for these four friends to bring their paralyzed friend. The homes were small by our standards. They've reconstructed a home that resembles a second century home near Galilee. That home can hold at the most about 30 people. So I want you to imagine a crowd. By this time, people are hearing about Jesus. He's healing disease, he's casting out demons, he's doing all sorts of miracles. So people are lining up in Capernaum, that's how I guess it, sort of like they do at the BOK Center for concerts. They're lined up. Maybe they've been camping out at night, waiting to get to see Jesus. And uh, finally, they make it into the home. They're the first group. They make it in. And guess what happens? These 
four friends of this paralyzed man realize there's no way they're going to get their friend in to see Jesus. So they decide to climb on top of the roof, and the roofs had uh, like branches and poles across them and thatch. That's what a roof was. So they start separating the thatch and these, these poles, and then they start lowering their friend down. And I just thought of the people that had probably had to wait in line for a long time to see Jesus. And now this guy is being lowered down and think, what? What's going on here? We waited in line. We camped out. And now this guy's just being lowered down in front of us? Like, unbelievable. So Jesus sees them. And look at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And I'm thinking, if I was there, what in the world is Jesus saying? Everyone can see that the main problem with this guy is paralyzed. Why is he saying, son, your sins are forgiven? What kind of sin would this disabled guy be able to commit anyway? Now, speaking as a parent of a disabled child, let me tell you what Jesus is doing. He's honoring this man, paralyzed man. And he's saying, this man is included in God's kingdom. This man, just like anyone else, is sinful. And he too, like everyone else, needs to have his sins forgiven. So often, and you, you heard me talk about these statements from the Greek and Roman world and in even the Christian world, we put people with disabilities outside the camp. They're not included. We don't know what to do with them. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people who've come to our church at Kirk of the Hills telling us we could not go to our church. They wouldn't allow us to come because they couldn't care for our child. So we've, we've been lost. We didn't we didn't know what to do. Now, here's the thing, and I think this explains what Jesus is doing. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, I came not to abolish the law and the prophets, but I came to fulfill them. And what he means by that, I came to show you what God is like. I came to show you who I'm going to include in my kingdom. And this disabled, paralyzed man is now inside I'm not here to ostracize him. I'm here to include him in God's family. And that's why he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Kirk of the Hills Presbyterian, where I, where I served for 30 years, has developed a wonderful ministry to special needs children. And I remember the day that that ministry started. I was preaching away in our contemporary worship service, and I was really getting into it. And suddenly, as clear as a bell, and my wife was sitting in the back, our son Jonathan yells, Daddy's angry! And I stopped, and I, I had to stop totally. Lynette's more mortified, and I said, I'm not just angry, I'm just a little worked up. And there was a woman sitting next to him. Jordan would know her, Crystal Fulda. And she whispers in my wife's ear and she says, Lynette, would you like to go to church, be able to go to church while John is taken care of? And Lynette said, I would love it. 
And that began a ministry to other people in our Christian community in Tulsa who had no place to go with their child on Sunday mornings where their kids could be taken care of so that parents could go to church. And this woman was, I still is, filled with the Holy Spirit being led and she started seeing that parents really didn't have a time to be together as husband and wife because Lynette spent a lot and I spent a lot of our lives. I would go to a meeting, she had to stay home. I would stay home, she would go to a meeting at the church because Jonathan needed 24 hour care. And she started a ministry so that she said, you know, you guys haven't been on a date in a long time, have you? I said, nope. So she started a ministry called um, Friday Night Owls. So once a month, we could actually go out together. It was a, a life saver for us. Um, so we uh, eventually, uh, the church developed a day program for adults with disabilities because once you graduate from high school, there's no place for people with disabilities to go. And they're teaching them the Bible. I got lots of letters from parents thanking us for acknowledging that their disabled child needed to know Christ and know the Bible. So that was the outreach as we expanded. There are so many people in that ministry now that are carrying the mat for other families. Now, what does this paralyzed man in our story have going for him? Well, he has a band of men, four men, that have decided that no obstacle is going to stop them. The group didn't come about by accident. In the face of formidable obstacles, the social stigma, inconvenience, financial pressure, the high cost of time and energy, they choose to become friends with this guy. They're there. And they've been there for their friend despite all the obstacles. Let me tell you, for our family, we have had many people that have picked up our mat or we wouldn't have made it. There are a group of guys unknown to us that noticed that our son was getting bigger and that he needed, if we continued to lift him off the floor or off the bed, that we needed to get some sort of device to help lift him off the floor. And so they took a collection and it ended up being this great device that attaches to the ceiling with a harness coming down and you strap him in and it lifts him up in his wheelchair. It, we, we couldn't make it without the friends that have taken up the mat to uh, care for us. And I can honestly uh, tell you that Jonathan Hardy has more friends than I will ever have. Do you know why? It's because of his disability and vulnerability. He needs people. Uh, and as he's with people, he extends his love to them and then they in turn extend their love to him. And many people in our culture lack great friendships because they're not vulnerable enough to express their needs to other people. Now, here's a truth that those of us without visible disabilities find it difficult to admit. We all have something that's an obstacle for us. You may be the most intelligent person in the room, and yet you may be arrogant and you push people away. You may be the most beautiful person around, 
beautiful woman around and yet you're always thinking of your beauty that you're not beautiful enough. You may be very good at your job and you get great reviews. You may own your own business, but you know in your heart you've been sacrificing your family, your wife in the process. We all have something and the difference between the paralyzed man and us in our scripture is that he knows he needs people to help him through life. And we try to cruise along in, in life until we run out of gas and our lives fall apart. I can't tell you how many times I've had a wife call me and she says something like this, you know, my husband has been working nonstop he likes to hunt, he likes to fish, he likes, I'm not, I'm not saying those are bad things, but he likes to, he's so committed to all those things that he's neglecting us, neglecting us. And uh, I've told him we need to get counseling, he won't do it. I've told him he needs to do this and that. I told him what, I've told him what I need and he refuses. She says, I've had it. And then I get a call from the husband and the husband's finally begins to wake up and he says, you know, Wayne, I will do everything I can to get my wife back. And the problem is by that time, it's almost too late because he couldn't admit early on how much he needed other people to help him. What did that husband need? He needed Christian brothers standing with him and saying, you need to take, you need to take more time with your family. You need to be uh, more involved with them than the things that you're involved in now. In fact, you shouldn't even be with us. You need to be home. We're going to pray for you and take you under our wing to make sure you do that. That's what Christian brothers and sisters are supposed to do because we all have something that creates an obstacle for us. It could be a hot temper. It could be a controlling personality. Maybe you have the inability to trust or the inability to speak the language of the heart. Maybe you have an obstacle that involves some sort of terrible secret that you've been living with that you still feel guilty about. Maybe it's a crushing, crushing sense of failure or inadequacy or loneliness. We all have something. John Ortberg has written a wonderful book called Everybody is Normal Till You Get to Know Them. And he starts focusing on this passage that we've read today. And his point is that the man was paralyzed. He lived his entire life almost entirely on a mat. He was vulnerable and needed the help to, help to do everything. So this is what Ortberg writes. Sometimes people spend their entire lives doing mat management. They pretend that they don't have a mat. They appear to be so healthy and strong that people around them assume that they could walk anywhere they want to. They can see other people's mats. Maybe they even have the spiritual gift of mat identification for others, but never reveal their own. Their primary goal is to hide their brokenness from others' eyes. And he goes on to say, if this is you, you may be quite good at hiding your mat. You may convince everybody of your strength and competence, but you will not live in community. If you want friendship, you can't always be the strong one. You will always have to let somebody else carry your mat. 
Jesus knows this. So not only does he forgive the paralyzed man's sins, he heals him. And the people, as you read the scripture, just love Jesus. The teachers of the law don't love Jesus. Now, why don't they love Jesus? Many years before, it was decided that rabbis could interpret the best way for people to follow the Old Testament law. And they collated a lot of their views of how you should follow the Old Testament law in a book called the Mishnah. Now, I've read a section of the, of the book and one of the, uh, they get so detailed that they talk about how a woman should braid their, her hair and when she can do it. Now there are two things wrong with that. Never tell a woman how she should do her hair. That wasn't smart. And secondly, they were off on the wrong focus. Their hearts were not right with God. And Jesus instead grabs this man's heart and all those that were hearing and draws them to himself. Jesus knows all about this and why he's come to earth. Look at verse 8. <coughs> Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that the teachers of the law were ticked off. This is my interpretation. He knew what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? And the, the problem here is the teachers of the law thought that they were the authorities. They cannot see here that Jesus is the authority. Listen to Jesus. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus brings joy to everyone that's gathered in that house, everyone but the teachers of the law. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to see our son Jonathan, who's been disabled his entire life, standing and walking, He's impaired cognitively, having a good mind. I can't imagine the joy that I would experience in those around that know him. Because what Jesus is doing here is he's showing God's intention. He's showing where God is moving in, in the world. He's on earth to show us what God is like. Now, during this pandemic, it's easy uh, to lose our joy. In a book I read recently by N.T. Wright, it's called God and the Pandemic. And uh, basically, N.T. Wright says throughout the book that the main thing we need to do during the pandemic is trust in Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever my life gets out of whack, it's when I am not trusting in Jesus. What was the problem with the teachers of the law? Why are they really ticked off? They're trying to control life. They can't control life. Until you release your life to Jesus, you're not going to have joy. So when Lynette and I retired in May of this year, we were like many of you looking forward to traveling and doing things that we couldn't do while we were in full-time work. We quickly found out that we were in the endangered species age group where I'm not sure we should even be here breathing right now, breathing the air with you, but we're a part of that group. Um, and I've noticed through this period of time, I've gotten a little testy. Has anyone gotten a little testy uh, during this pandemic? 
Yeah, and I think I think our country's a little testy. What do you think? And here's what I would say, and it's based on this passage. It's times like this, and I need to hear these words, that you and I need to rely on each other, on other believers. We need to reach out and care for people that we normally wouldn't care for. Because Christ in this passage came to forgive sins. He didn't come to make a name for himself. But he came for this paralyzed man. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And you and I have no idea how this pandemic is going to end. We want our lives to get back to normal. I think when we say we want our lives back to normal, what we're really saying is we'd like to get back to where we can control things again. You know what Jesus would like? He would like us to get back to Jesus. If we want a fulfilled life, we want things to go better, we want joy in our lives, we have to get back to Jesus. Because the more we try to control, the more we lose. Let's not be like teachers of the law who've always seemed to, do you notice the teachers of the law and the Bible always seem to be irritated about something? I've never seen teachers of the law laughing or smiling in scripture, have you? They're always irritated. Let's not be like them. Let's be full of joy, trusting in the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for reminding us of who you are, what you're all about, and what we should be about. I pray for anyone here outside that needs hope, encouragement, and your love. Lord, touch their hearts this morning. I pray that you would help all of us to be sensitive, as it's so hard to do during this pandemic, to the needs of others, but help us to do what we can. Motivate us, move us, help us move toward you to be more like you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.